Mom would pull out a chunk of meat and grind it fresh, and it would be sitting on the table with raw onion and little rye toasts, and you'd make yourself a little raw hamburger sandwich, which was called a cannibal sandwich, and that was normal for me. Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I am your host, Lindsay Christians, food and arts writer for the Cap Times. This week on the podcast, I'm talking with Tammy Lax, owner of Harvest Restaurant on the Capitol Square. For the last 18 years, Tammy and her team have been hosting a holiday game dinner to celebrate the season. I went into the archive to find out what those early dinners were about, and they featured elk, goose, quail, wild hare... Venison is still a must, as is duck. The holiday game dinner has become one of the most popular events of the year, and it's coming up this Saturday and Sunday. Give a listen to this chat with Tammy, and at the end, we will let you know how to get tickets. Welcome, Tammy. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in today. My pleasure. It's such a busy time of year, I know. <laughs> it is. Um, so you're gearing up for what number holiday game dinner is this? This is our 18th. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So why did you start? 18th or 19th? 18th. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I don't know. <laughs> after, yeah, after this many years, you you actually stop counting. Oh, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So why did you decide to start doing a game dinner like well, this? Well, uh, this time of the year is my absolute favorite, just just growing up and, you know, having that hyper time where you've just like the deer hunting season right before Thanksgiving was the time that the holidays always kicked in for me. You know, all of my uncles would go deer hunting and so then my aunts would all get together and all my, which meant all my cousins got together and we would do all these like amazing holiday things like go shopping and, you know, window shopping was a big thing. That's when Prangies unveiled their, their Christmas window and, uh, we would make Christmas cookies and do Christmas crafts. And um, so the holidays to me have just always been this very magical time. So that's where this kind of came from. Yeah. Are, so it's it's interesting to look through the game dinners. You, you brought me some menus from previous years. And it's fun to think about where maybe a childhood memory becomes like a lovely fine dining dish. Yes, exactly. Right? So putting something like pickled herring as part of that, you know, opening uh, smorgasbord uh, plate that you serve, that's, I think of pickled herring, and I know that's like a strong taste memory for a lot of people who grew up in Wisconsin. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But one of my one of my favorites from a previous year was um, bison tartare and cannibal sandwiches. <laughs> so, tell tell me a little bit about that. Well, that you know, and and I know it scares a lot of people now in this you know day and age where not a lot of people know where their meat is coming from. But um, as our family would do round robins, um, our kitchen table just became like a smorgasbord, and everyone had what they would call cannibal sandwiches. And it would be, you know, mom would pull out a chunk of meat and grind it fresh, and it would be sitting on the table with, you know, raw onion and little rye toasts, and you'd make yourself a little raw hamburger sandwich, which was called a cannibal sandwich. And that was normal for me, you know. <laughs> so we, we recreated that with more of a higher-end, you know, um, product, and we, we know where the bison comes from. We grind our own bison and, and make tartare from that. You could probably make sausages using that same grinder, I would Oh, imagine. absolutely. Yeah. 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 My and family. we did. Oh, yeah. 
My family would make yaternitsi, which is kind of like a boudin. Yeah. Um, and it has a lot of rice in it. But they, I, I still remember like sausages just hung around my grandma's kitchen, like on, like, oh, you know, beautiful. like just strung up. Right, right. <laughs> and I don't really remember why you have to do that, but apparently <laughs> it's part of making sausage that you string them around. Right, right. You dry them. This holiday gathering is sort of your opener for the game dinner, and that's every year, right? That it became is. a tradition at one point. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about putting that together and like what you're looking to do with that sort of opener. Well, I think what we're trying to do is, number one, you know, um, play on things that are, are more local and regional. You know, something with a little bit of a, a twist to it. Again, you know, we're not going to call something a cannibal sandwich, but you know, we're going to put <laughs> we're going to put bison tartare on the menu. Um, Lake Superior herring has played a huge part in my life as far as being a special item. You know, um, whether it was fish that my family caught and we pickled, or we bought it, but it was always like the luxury item in the refrigerator that, like, you know, lived in the door and it came out at holidays and it was you know, just has a very strong memory for me. So, you know, using that same family recipe that always shows up on our, on our gathering board for these, um, for these dinners. You've got a turkey liver pate on there this year. We do. Which is great. Because it makes me think of like, you've just made all these turkeys or lots of turkey (laughs) for Thanksgiving. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that one, um, Anthony actually, uh, that's his, um, his addition to the, to the menu. And, when he suggested it, he, it had said wild turkey liver, and I was a little afraid of that. I said, do we have a source for wild turkey livers? And, of course, we don't. But we, we were able to find some from a purveyor that had a lot of turkey livers. Just a lot of, of turkey livers. Yes. How big are turkey livers? They have to be bigger um, than— A little bit bigger than a chicken, but okay. not, not that much bigger. No. That's nice. Yeah. With a sh- it says sherry cranberry aspic. I always yes. think of aspic as being a kind of holiday sort of thing. Absolutely, too. yeah. And that was Leah's. So, you know, they came to this. This kind of represents, you know, we sit down at a round table and kind of blend all of our our ideas together. You have pheasant rillettes. Yes. So it's. I, I feel like it's nice to see game birds. Mm-hmm. I know my uncles um, like to go rustling up game birds, and I love seeing them on menus this time of year too. Because it is that hunting season. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of a, it's it's funny because that was a very big thing in my family. My my grandfather was a trapper. I have an uncle who is a, t- a pretty famous taxidermist in the taxidermy world. And so I grew up with all kinds of game in my life. And again, that was my normal. It's not other people's normal, but it was my normal. And, you know, especially pheasant, there's just something so majestic about that. And um, we luckily have a source here in Wisconsin, McFarlane Pheasant in Janesville. So we always uh, love to feature that product um, on our menu and for a holiday dinner. Do you think of venison as being a have to have it on this menu? Do you like, is venison a it's so Wisconsin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like we should all be wearing blaze orange for this dinner because, you know, venison <laughs> hunting season is just such a religion in this state. But yeah, it's definitely a must have. You have a French rack of ven- venison a couple of years ago. Yes. That was a little hard to do for that volume of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we we, we tried. We did our best um, and uh, just decided that that was 
too ambitious for the amount of people that attend this dinner. So right, it was well, beautiful. It's interesting because I, I feel like last year when we were talking about this dinner, there was some discussion of like, okay, yes, this is wonderful, but it's really hard to do for X number. And I wonder if the game dinner has, has modified a little bit as the years have gone on and it's gotten more popular. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So Yeah, and we do. We have to think that way because as as people who are excited about food, you're always wanting to create something that's really a little bit difficult to, to pull off for 80 people. And over the years, we have definitely um, learned those lessons. And as we're creating now, we really keep that in mind. We, you know, we're physically writing that down and the different aspects to the dinner and what it takes to physically put it together and just make sure that we can put together a beautiful item and, yeah, you know. Make sure it can happen for that volume. Execute it really consistently, exactly. for sure. Yeah. Um, I notice you've got duck confit. That yes. is a great way to have duck there, right? Absolutely. But without maybe necessarily having to like sear it off right. individually. Right, right. You know, and it's why we've gotten away from like smaller game birds like quail, you know, because mm. it's really, really hard to do for that amount of people. If you, you know, if we have it on a regular menu and, you know, a table for two orders, it, that's really fantastic. But it's such a temperamental bird to cook to medium rare and making sure that it's perfect that we've had to eliminate it from this menu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was thinking too about wild game. And my uncle might go out and and shoot some pheasant and bring it home or, you know, get some deer and bring it back. Um, But you can't really do that at a restaurant. Like you have to source, you have to source in particular ways where like maybe Maybe you've got a purveyor who's going out and doing some foraging or some hunting, but maybe not as much. And I wonder if that's changed over your sort of years in the industry. I haven't noticed it. I mean, I've I've been in this industry for 25 years, but, you know, prior to being in a restaurant, um, my uncle, like the uncle I was referring to, the taxidermist, Ron Lax, he, when I was growing up, you know, I remember him cleaning out huge lake trout and restaurants would be able to pick it up and serve it in the restaurant that used to be legal and it is no longer you know we that's why it's it's called a game dinner not a wild game dinner you know there there are definitely um, animals that we think about going out and hunting and you know things that we do for game but we can't uh, serve those particular um, animals in the restaurant they have to come from a purveyor Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I would imagine like with something like venison, it has to do with testing, mm-hmm. like making sure that they're Scary. safe. Yeah, absolutely. Deer farms in Wisconsin are starting to show signs of CWD. So Chronic wasting disease. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not sure how much longer we're going to be able to have this on our dinner menu until that that goes away. I know. Oh, my right? goodness. <laughs> right? Yeah. Those kinds of challenges, I think, are are the things that we don't necessarily think about when we think. No, we don't. When we sit down to this beautiful dinner, we think, right. oh, my gosh, well, you know, where do the rabbits need to come from? Well, you, know, you can't just go out and right. shoot them in your yard. Right, right. Um, speaking of rabbit, there is beautiful rabbit. I love seeing rabbit on menus yes. always. And we love rabbit. We have always been big, big fans of having rabbit on our menu. We've had several different um uh, farmers supply them to us. Uh, the gentleman that we're getting them from right now, John in, in South Bend, um, raises them for us exclusively, and he'll he'll raise sixty of them, bring them to market, and brings us those sixty, and we serve them till they're gone, and wait for the next sixty to show up. So um, we've kind of squirreled them away this time, and and we're using those rabbits for this dinner. So are they a specific meat rabbit, like bread for meat? 
Um, this one is. It's a silver fox, and it's actually one of um, when I was involved in slow food when we were working on the on the ark. This is one of the rabbits that we had um, put onto the slow food ark of taste. So when John approached me and said, "You know, I'm retired. I'm looking for something to do. Would you ever be interested in in rabbits?" and you know, so I said yes. And these are the breeds that we really love their their taste. So. He's raising them for us. It's that easy. That was one where you said the maybe the wine pairing was a little bit more challenging or it was different. Yeah, so. people always make that that um, comparison that it tastes similar to chicken and it doesn't at all. I don't think it does. <laughs> I, don't I don't think it does. It's something that I hear a lot, and I think it's because people want to know. Like you know, you think of this rabbit with this sweet little face and you know furry, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to eat that. But it's such a delicate flavor. It's so it's so rich and complex. And um, when we were pairing a wine with it, uh, Michael had brought in two stronger reds. And the f- five of us all said, you know, this is a little bit more than what we're looking for. So we actually went back and ended up pairing it with a sparkling rosé, which was perfect. So, yeah, you want something that's not going to, you know, overrun it. Well, rabbit can be so lean, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of Extremely. fat. Extremely. Yeah. And Michael Perret from Left Bank, he's the one doing the wine. Yes. Yeah. And I I found that process so I got to sit in last year. I found that process so fascinating to think about like, okay, this is what we're thinking about with the flavor profiles of the dish. And you know, how is the wine going to either contrast or complement that? Exactly. Which I think is just just a lot of fun. It is, it is. Yeah. And it depends on the dish and and which which direction we take with that, you know, especially when it's Something like this rabbit dish that is a little milder. We want something that is going to not necessarily contrast, but marry it, you know, and go Mm -hmm. with it really well. I noticed that you have on pretty much every menu that you've given me here, something that's rolled up, uh, (laughs) like a roulade, a ballantine, you know, something, a little bit of that classic French technique. Exactly. Right. But also something you can make ahead. Uh, And so is that something that's significant for you? It is, you know, and and again, that, you know, beckons back to when I was growing up and we would go, we called it round robin and we'd go, my, both of my sides of the family are huge. So we'd spend that whole month going from family to family. It's like progressive dinner Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you know, it was always something that um, you could put all the time in up front, make it perfect, make it beautiful, and then you have people coming over. So instead of trying to do all that stuff, you know, around the house, that roulade would go in the oven so that when people showed up, there was that beautiful roulade sitting in the middle of the table, and you could just slice off pieces of it, and, the you know, the center of it just, whether it was filled with raisins or fruit or you know, nuts. I mean, just all kinds of different styles. So yeah, we always have rolled items on our I love that. Menu. Yeah. But it feels also festive because a lot of these rolled items, they do take a little bit more work ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and actually, speaking of work ahead of time, you've got pierogies on this menu. Yes. <laughs> and my family makes hundreds every year. Yes. yes. And I, like, one of us is, like, on the folding station, and one of us is, like, doing the boiling and, you know, putting them into butter because there's so much butter. Yes. And I love making pierogies, but I would probably never do them on my own. Right. Right? Because right. it's a it's very much a family kind of thing of we're all doing this together and we're going to make hundreds of these. Yes, yes. Um, but you're doing them here with smoked sturgeon, yes. which I've never had. So yes. how did that come together? We just all thought it was such a great idea because then when it does, again, is it brings – us all into the kitchen as a family, right? Because this is a huge process, making pierogi for 160 people. Like that is an overwhelming task between making 
the stuffing for it and smoking the sturgeon and making all it. So it's it's kind of a twofold thing. You know, there's a lot of labor of love that goes into this dish. And the cedar itself will come from my my uh, land up north. So, you know, there's this like cool, intimate tie into the dishes as well. Do you do the smoking in-house? We like, do. Mm-hmm. Does the whole kitchen smell like smoke? Uh, not really. No. Oh, really? No, it goes, yeah, I mean, it smells a little bit, but you know, it goes <laughs> into the hood like everything else does. And... There are so many things like that that I think, oh, that would be great, but my entire house will smell like. <laughs> right. It's amazing what a commercial hood does over a stove. Oh, yeah, I it bet. just pulls it all out. Because I have a hood, but it's just not that <laughs> no. strong. Exactly. Um, it, I love seeing uh, the, the fall and like, I think of them as fall and winter veggies. So like the braised red cabbage here. Beets are so like wintry and warm mm, yeah. and sweet. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, some pickled winter, winter vegetables in this sort of the holiday plate that starts, and then butternut squash spetzel. Yeah, you know we're all getting ready to nest. You know it's mm-hmm. all this like comfort food and and food that you have when you're with your families, and you know it just kicks off the holiday season. You know, and that's that's our goal. We used to actually have this dinner in mid December. And we pushed it back to the beginning because everybody gets so busy that we've made it into more of like, come and celebrate with us. And let's, you know, come around the table and and kick off the holiday seasons together. And since we did that, it's become our most popular dinner and tickets sell out fast. So we've expanded it into two rooms. And instead of doing 50 people, we do between 80 and 90 people each night. So we do it on a Saturday and Sunday evening. The first holiday game dinner that I went to was, I think, 2015 or 16. Okay. And I remember you came out and you said, this was my plan for the dessert, and this is what the dessert is. <laughs> right, right. So can you actually tell that story? Absolutely. So hickory nuts have always played a, um, a special part in my life as well. My, my great-great-grandparents had what my mom liked to call a hickory nut orchard on their property, which there's no such thing. But as a child, she thought that's what it was because there were so many hickory nut trees. They would gather them, dry them, and pick them. Um, And it was, you could not eat them because they were so precious. So, but they were used during the holidays in everything, you know, from cookies to pie crust to everything. So, of course, I was going to recreate that pie crust. And as you know, hickory nuts are extremely expensive. So I was making making, um, a tart crust with the hickory nuts and totally messed it up. When they came out of the oven, you know, hours before the dinner, it just crumbled. They wouldn't come out of the tart pan. I was like, oh, my God. So I turned it into a trifle. So I just added a bunch of beautiful holiday um, items to it and put that hickory nut crunch um, which was a crust into the trifle, and it actually was beautiful. It was probably better than the tart would have turned out. The thing that I remember, so it's I'm looking back at it now. It says creamed blue cheese. Yes, and it was so surprising, and it because you had some kind of the whiny flavors from like the the fig and the kumquat in there. Mm-hmm. They're sweet, but they've got some like acid and tannin to them too. Yes, and then you had that lovely. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. I don't, like I don't, and my, my husband was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. And I was like, I'll take yours. Right, right, And I, right. I ate them both. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, and then you recreated it the next year, but you did some different things with it because you were planning to right. do the trifle at right. that point. And, you know, and at that point, it's like, yeah, the trifle is, number one, a holiday item, but number two, really easy to put together for a lot of people. Yeah, you for know? sure. Yeah. 
So this year you're doing an upside down cake. We are. With pears. With pears, yeah. Pears from Future Fruit Farm, um, slowly poached and then made into, you know, everyone is familiar with the classic pineapple upside down cake, but we'll be doing it with pear, infusing a little ginger into that, um, and serving that with an eggnog ice cream. So and we're going to serve that warm, which I think is also incredibly ambitious, but we're going to do some tests this week to make sure we yeah. can pull that off. But, you know, there's nothing like a upside down cake right out of the oven with hot, you know, hot cake and then that ice cold ice cream on top. So I did a cranberry Linzer tart oh, yeah. for Thanksgiving this year with kind of a almost like a graham crackery crust. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have a tart pan, so I put it in a pie pan, which didn't quite work. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I was like, well, I don't know if I can actually make this, if this is going to work at all, because the dough is so delicate. It's got all those nuts in it. Absolutely. And same kind of thing. It just crumbles. And so I was like, I don't, I can't really weave this. It's just too delicate. So um, I got double the number of cranberries and I still have the ingredients now to do like a cornmeal cranberry upside down cake. Oh, nice. Which I think will be so good. Absolutely. Um, But I had that in my back pocket just in case the tart didn't work. (laughs) Because I was like, well. Always good to have something in your back pocket. Yeah. And I, and I didn't want to tell anybody that I was bringing it either. I was like. If this works, it works. If it doesn't, <laughs> no one will know. Right. But yeah, this this menu is beautiful. And then you have the wine pairings. And one of the things I've always loved is you can actually, like if you love the wines going through, you can buy them. Yes. Nobody does this. Yeah. It's brilliant. Because especially at the end of a, like a lovely, luxurious meal, what do you want to do? You want to buy wine. You want to buy wine. Yeah. Exactly. And we do that uh, intentionally. Every month we have uh, – an unannounced um, fundraising Mm. aspect to our dinners. So the wines that everyone is able to purchase our wine family at our cost, which never happens for people as well. And then we take that money and donate it to that month's cause. So um, like last month for the truffle dinner, we donated it to the Goodman Center for their turkey dinner. So we do that every year. That's a traditional thing for us. So we're able to, to donate $1,200 to the Goodman Center to purchase um, those turkey dinners. And for $25 a dinner, that $1,200 went a really long way to help people. So oh my gosh! Yes. not only do you get to go home with wine, you're also doing a really good thing by buying the wine. So Is there a beneficiary for the game dinner? Wine? We haven't chosen one yet. <gasps> oh, yeah. Could be anything. Could be anything. <laughs> yeah. And there's actually times where... It happens the day of. You oh, know, yeah. I just approach my staff and I say, what are you passionate about right now? And we we all vote on it and go with, with whatever whatever that one is. Because as you know, in, in my industry, we get asked for donations. Oh, constantly. Constantly. Absolutely. So this is just really a nice way of, you know, if somebody calls and says, hey, we're looking for, you know, John calls me and says, we need some money for the Thanksgiving baskets. What? Got our truffle dinner this week. Where we'll we'll do that for it you. It works out perfectly. It does. So tell people how they can go. Like how you know how do they make their reservations? How much it costs? Um, and like where they should go for more info. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, they can get uh, detailed information on our website, which is harvest-restaurant.com. They can call me on the phone, and I will give them details personally. My number is six zero eight. Two five five six zero seven five. Tickets are available by calling only. We don't uh, do any of the fancy Ticketmaster people. Anything we're we're very old school. Um, we do still have tickets available for this Saturday evening, um, the first and Sunday the second. So that's awesome. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for coming. My in. pleasure. It sounds like it's going to be beautiful. Well, I better be right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
the corner table a podcast about food and drink in madison produced by the capital times our music was composed by patrick christians you can subscribe to this podcast at itunes stitcher and soundcloud and follow us at corner table podcast on facebook find more food and drink news pretty much every day at captimes.com i am your host cap times food writer Lindsay christians my wish for you this week is eggnog with a shot of bourbon recommended by ct news editor jason joyce cheers cheers